The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. My name's John Schaefer and I'm here today with Justin Anokasi, the new CIO of SJP. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So Justin, how are your first 100 days as the new SJP CIO? I know it's not quite 100 working days, but it's uh, over 100 calendar days. Maybe you could tell me about some highlights and maybe some challenges. You're right. It's 100 working days on the 2nd of March. I am counting the day, so I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to that kind of thing. I think it's really important to set your strategy and, and by the 100 days, I think my strategy will be very, very clear on what we want to do with the investment management business. Key highlights to me have been the strength of the manager research business. You know, really thorough manager research, the most thorough I've ever seen. We also have, I think, a market leading asset allocation process when it comes to long-term asset allocation. Again, I think that's really important when we talk a little bit later about multi-asset funds and asset allocation. Another key highlight has been the unbundling of fees, right? Because if you think about the unbundling of fees from an investment perspective, it means for the first time in a long time, we're going to be able to compare our funds like for like with other strategies without the platform and the advice fee built in. I think it's really, really important. I think one key challenge from an investment perspective has been this diversification dilemma. The fact that diversification simply hasn't worked in recent years. So it means that when you speak to clients, they're talking about the strength of the US equity market. They're talking about why bonds haven't provided protection relative to equity more recently. We firmly believe that diversification is the right thing to deliver strong risk-adjusted returns. So it's important we kind of articulate that message again and again and again. I wanted to bring up perhaps maybe one of your, your highlights you presented in front of a sort of packed out O2 arena at the end of January um, at the SJP conference. I mean, how, how did that feel? I've got to say it was a, a real experience. Uh, I think it's really important to bring people together and to bring the whole of the business together to set the narrative for the year. I think that's really important, particularly with um, the changes that we're thinking from an investment management perspective and to articulate them to everybody in, in, in that way. So I think it's really, really quite powerful, but it was a real, a real experience. Where do you think SJP's investment approach needs the biggest change? Uh, so, so I'm not sure change, biggest change is the right word. I think evolution is the right word. So. Uh, I think asset allocation is going to be a key focus for us. So getting the asset allocation right is so important. Asset allocation is the key driver of risk and therefore return in any portfolio. So articulating again, again and again to get that right and, and how to get that right is, is really important. I mentioned we, I think we have a market leading long-term asset allocation process. And you can see that with the success of Polaris in terms of overall performance, the, the performance of model portfolios over the, over the last decade, the asset allocation actually, long-term asset allocation process has, has worked. Now we need to think about how we evolve that. And it's important, markets don't stay still. So it's important, how do you evolve the asset allocation? Bring it in ahead of economic research in Hetel Meta, bringing in Joe Wiggins, a director, a director of investment research. These are two people who are going to be key to that medium-term investment process going forward, building on that leading long-term asset allocation process. We've already looked at the increase in, in passive exposure, actually, mm. and that's quite evident in the Polaris range. Mm. Um, what's the rationale for that increase? If you think about 
um, over time on our IMA, so investment management approach or our platform, you have seen a greater amount of lower cost strategies over time. Uh, within Polaris, we have between 18 and 25% in index strategies. We're always looking at the right blend between active and index, and also you know, to provide liquidity and a buffer around the, the active, concentrated active managers that we have within Polaris. I think it's really important to add index strategies and also think about what that blend actually is. How far could we see passive coming in, in Polaris? You say between 18 and 25%. Could, yeah. could that be driven much higher or do you like to keep it around that area? I think the important thing is that you have to be driven by where you are in the market. You have to be driven by the valuations of almost the active managers versus the index strategies. So we're constantly looking at that blend and constantly looking to, to, to evolve that proposition uh, over time. You've had some analysts sort of suggesting that if SJP's passive allocation was around to the 80% mark, you'd get some pretty significant cost cutting out. And then, mm. I mean, do you think that could ever happen? If I look at the IMA, that, that platform, I do think you are going to see um, more strategies over time outside of purely concentrated active. I think one thing is really important is this argument of active versus passive is a bit counterproductive. It's a bit, it's too binary. It's too binary. And actually, I, I, I think there's, a, there's an almost an active index continuum in a way, where at one end, if you look at long only space, you've got concentrated active, at the other end, you've got market cap passive, and in between that, you've got things like fundamentally weighted indices, you've got uh, thematic indices, you might have sector, sector strategies. So, so I think it's really important to identify uh, that active-passive or active index continuum and decide where you want to be. And within a multi-asset fund, then look at how you blend those within each asset class. Really important. How are you approaching US equities in mm. particular? You previously sort of issued concerns about concentration risk, especially in the Magnificent Seven. Looking at the Flores range, a lot of the exposure to the US is passive at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a really good, good observation. When you look at the Polaris range, the main way we access our equity exposure is via global equity strategies. So we have global value, we have global growth, we have global quality, and we have international, an international kind of, well, it's like an index strategy in a way. And we combine those together. Then we look at, okay, where do we want to be relative to global market cap? And actually, we are significantly, if you just look at those strategies, we're significantly underweight the US. So we add in that US index almost just to get from a risk management perspective. Right. So to get closer to the overall index, uh, so to manage risk relative to that kind of concentration risk that you mentioned. But you're right, concentration risk is still a massive issue. Uh, the top 10 stocks in the US have gone from 10% to 33%. The US equity, uh, US equities as a whole within global equities are now 66% of global equities. So that concentration risk is a real challenge. And managing that, I think, will, I think will define, actually, the success and failure of multi-asset funds looking forward over, over the medium term. Next couple of years, yeah. One fund that's notably missing from the Polaris range is the SAP North American fund, and that's um, managed by Aristotle Capital. I mean, mm. what's the story there? Why is yeah. it in the Polaris range? I think it's actually a really, good, a really good strategy. But ultimately, what we're trying to do, we've got those global equity strategies. Uh, we have that underweight to the US. We have that underweight to market cap US. And therefore, as a, a risk management tool, we have that index strategy just to get us a little bit closer to the index while still being significantly, significantly underweight. Now, that strategy, we will look at that strategy in the, in the future. And it, it's likely to be a candidate within Polaris 
going uh, in in the future. But right at this at this moment in time, with that concentration risk, all we're trying to do is manage that risk and ensure we're not falling too far away and we're not running massive amounts of tracking error relative to uh, a, glo a global market. So potentially something that's sort of in the back pocket. Yes, yes, no, definitely. Are we likely to see a trimming down of SJB's active mandates? I mean, how have you interacted with fund managers since you joined? We still believe in active. We still believe in concentrated active, in particular when you're trying to uh, manage um, different factors, so value versus growth and so on and so forth. I think active and um, managing those factors over time uh, show, uh, show over time that you can have risk premiums relative to, 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 to certain indices. Accessing that through active, I think, does make, does make some sense. However, I mentioned this active in that's continuum and I think it's really important to look just you can look outside of can concentrated active into areas such as thematics and so on and so forth so over time we will look at different areas and look at how we're going to access them that probably doesn't mean that overall we are going to access more lower cost strategies but importantly it's not just index strategies it's accessing different sources of return overall in terms of managers I've been, let's say, less than 100 days, been, been in less than 100 days. I've seen over 50 managers so far. Um, and the idea is to uh, you know, speak to all of the existing managers, but also think about different prospects as well. So it's been a, a, real, a real hectic start in terms of meeting, meeting the managers. And what have those conversations been like? Just reaching out, saying, you know, how's the relationship going, trying to understand um, the, different, the, the, the different dynamics within that active, that active manager. To be honest, they've been a bit like speed dating, 15 right. minute sessions, so, so yeah. not really deep so conversations. Not quite at the stage where you're thinking, I want to put more emphasis on this fund or less emphasis on another yet. Not, not there yet, not there yet. And, but perhaps over the next six months, that, yes, could, yes. that could be you know, yeah. a, a more wholesale review of those funds. Yes, yes. More broadly, what, what do you think's been the issue with some of those active funds? Some of those funds have been sort of red flagged in performance reviews, sort of you get the, the spot the dog report mm. every year that, that has been a bit harsh perhaps on, on SJP funds. Where do you think some of the, the issues are? So one of the issues is on bundling. So, so, so as soon as you um, strip out the platform fee and the advice fee and you compare like for like, actually that, um, that changes the, the, the picture quite a lot. Other than that, within active strategies over time, um, over the last uh, five years in particular, the persistence of our performance, look at the number of stocks that have outperformed the overall index, that has been really low compared to history. Part of that is driven by this narrow leadership in markets by the Magnificent Seven and so, and, and so on and so forth. But actually the persistency of our performance of our strategies over like a 10 year time horizon uh, is actually pretty good. I mean, you, you're talking like you're north of a hit rate of greater than 50, 50, 55 percent, which actually is pretty, pretty attractive overall. Just drilling down on sort of Magnificent Seven there, is that still the approach to be fairly underweight Magnificent Seven? We see even year to date, they've still yeah, flown. Yeah, it's really important to differentiate between performance and risk. Yep. So the Magnificent Seven have clearly performed very well, but as they become more concentrated in the index, arguably the holding them becomes more and more risky. Um, so therefore, what we're trying to do is try to find 
performance outside of that Magnificent Seven, however, not take as much risk as that. And, and I think that's the fundamental issue is that we need to change the narrative from purely talking about performance to talking about the risk you are taking to generate that performance. I think that's fundamentally important. SOP often becomes the, the key client for boutique fund firms. Is there a bit of a, a risk of using small and boutique firms? I think it's always a challenge. So it's clear that when you scour the world and you're looking for the best active strategies, that actually it's in those boutiques where you can really find differentiated outperformance. However, the challenge is, as, as, you, as you mentioned, is that, um, that the size of our assets mean that it's really important that you don't swamp that, that particular manager. So one of the things we do to try and avoid that is we have a multi-manager approach. So if you look at, I don't know, global value strategy, we've got five managers within that. So you're trying to spread the risk across different managers rather than simply put your assets all in one manager. I think that fundamentally is quite, is quite important to kind of spread, spread that risk overall. Does that restrict you still in some markets, maybe things like UK small cap, for yeah. example, even if you are spread across five managers, they might be investing in similar stocks. So then you have the allocation decision. So within within a Polaris, for example, we allocate, we will allocate to that overall UK equity pot. And part of the rationale for investing in that pot or in the model portfolios, part of the rationale to invest in that pot will be to size it appropriately and not to flood the managers in order to deliver the kind of the, the best medium-term risk-return outcome. Could we look at the, the strategy in terms of growth of the Polaris range? So already yeah. sort of grown in assets quite significantly. Could we expect to see most advisors using the Polaris range? The strategy for Polaris is get that asset allocation right. Um, so we've got that long-term asset allocation process. From a medium-term perspective, we're then asking ourselves, are there any risks or any opportunities that we want to take advantage of or to, to mitigate to, in terms of risks? The key anchor for that is valuation. So tilting towards cheaper asset classes and away from more expensive ones. That's moderated by economics, it's moderated by fundamentals, and it's moderated by potential tail risks. And um, so that's the, the way we think about the world in, 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 ter in terms of Polaris. In terms of the advisors, what we're trying to do with, with the advisors, we're trying to say, well, look, you've got a diversified multi-asset pot, you've got model portfolios, and you've got these individual strategies. You, we also have a DFM business called Rowan Dartington. So if you want to go whole of market, you can go to you can you can go to go to Rowan Dartington. So the idea is to provide the advisor with the right tool set in order to align investments to their clients' attitude to risk. More broadly, do you think that, that there is a bit, bit more of a push towards Polaris? No, I think completely indifferent in terms of the way uh, the advisor will access the investments. Uh, clearly, there's a focus on asset allocation and getting asset allocation right. Uh, and But every client's different and some clients will have bespoke needs and so on and so forth. So I think it's really important to respect and recognise that. SOP's historically relied on investment consultants in the, in the research process. Mm -hmm. You're now looking to bring that almost entirely in-house, is that correct? Not quite. Uh, we still use uh, external consultants for specialist areas but we do have an in-house team of equity analysts fixed income analysts alternative analysts mm -hmm. both within SJP but also in, also within Rowan Darston which is which is really important to add and then we have our own asset allocation process so it's a mixture so actually from an asset allocation perspective we also we have multi-asset funds on our platform but we also build our own multi-asset strategies in-house in so I'd say the it's a mixture of uh, blending both internal capabilities and then using external consultants for that specialist uh, that specialist knowledge. I think it's fair to say that more broadly there, there's a move 
in house. I mean, this is this is before your time, but I, uh, the relationship with Stanford Associates uh, ended in in twenty twenty one. Much of those question marks over the relationship with, with Reddington as well. There, there does seem to be a, a bit of a move in house. Is that fair to say? So we still use Reddington, and we still use B Finance. So we still use significant external consultants. Um, yes, uh, uh, there has definitely been over time an increase to the insourcing of manager selection, but we still use external consultants for specialist asset classes. And that's going to continue over That's, that's going to continue. Maybe you could explain SAP's approach to private markets. I know you've got a pretty large private credit fund um, mm. on your books. How does that in- integrate with, with the strategy? Could we see it maybe move into Polaris? One of the things we are looking at is we are looking at uh, private markets within our overall multi-asset range. And there is a piece of work going on on that at the moment. So I don't want to preempt that. Um, but it's clear that from an asset allocation perspective, there is a role for private markets within a multi-asset mm. portfolio. Um, but working out the size of that and working out which type of private markets to access is fundamentally really, really important. So that's the work that's going on at the, at the moment. I think more broadly, is, it, is yeah. it quite challenging to integrate it in, into a multi-asset portfolio private market? I wouldn't say it's challenging. I, I do think what you need to do is think differently around you know, traditional capital market assumptions and so on and so forth. And goals is really important. Uh, are you aiming for diversification or are you aiming for alpha generation? And I think the balance between the two is, is really important. And that's the, that's the work we're doing at the moment. What do you think about the, the LTAP used structure? Is that something that maybe SJP could be a buyer for? I think definitely. Uh, so when we look at our private market strategy into the future and we think about um, private markets within our overall business, I think LTAFs uh, as well as structures such as um, Quaifs, even the, the, the European version, the LTIFs, I think, I, think, yeah, I, think, I think all of those types of structures are on the table. Yeah. Uh, we are analysing you know, which, structure, which structures we want to use going forward, but importantly, uh, I do think yeah, the starting point is from an investment perspective, is how much private markets and which type of private markets do you want if you're thinking about overall holistic asset allocation. That's my focus, the investment side. Yeah. This, is, this is true, but I mean, obviously you've been quite keen on talking about risk. Within these new structures is the, the semi-liquid element, and I'm not sure how, yeah. how comfortable you are with that. There is a, a liquidity premium to gain uh, when you invest in private market strategies. What's really important now is that the investor is willing to take that illiquidity premium. So I, I do believe that private markets do make sense in a multi-asset portfolio. I think it's just about assessing which private markets and how to access them, as, as you say. It seems that you're sort of expanding in this area. You're, you're hiring um, a head of private equity and debt. Is, is that a sort of broader push in, in that area? Yes, so I think, as I say, we're doing this piece of work. And in order to do the piece of work, you need the right expertise in the business to really assess so once we, from an asset allocation perspective, you assess what private marks you want to access, then you need somebody with a manager selection expertise to help the existing alternative team to find the right manager. I wanted to touch a little bit on, on ESG. What's mm. SJP's approach to ESG now? I mean, the move music around ESG has been pretty negative recently. I mean, what are your thoughts on it um, and SJP's allocation to, to, to the area? I think sustainable investing is really important for the future. I think the big challenge has always been when you speak to individual investors, uh, their values within that kind of sustainable universe are all very differentiated. So the challenge is that from an investment perspective, uh, rather than you can bespoke, 
but ultimately from a fund perspective you're pooling together those assets i do think sdr and the regulation on that now is a lot clearer so you know as we look towards the end of the year we're looking at that proposition and what that proposition could look like to meet the sdr deadline has that been helpful for you as a I, I, I think so i think you know having the having that that, that key clear now regulation and a direction does help us to really think about okay from a proposition, propositional perspective, what do we want our proposition to look like? And do you have an idea of sort of percentage of allocation to ESG assets, or is it something mm. that's going to be sort of fed in across the board? I mean, as a house, you can yeah. affect change yeah. here because yeah. you're such a big buyer. There is, from a uh, engagement sort of perspective, we do um, use a, a fund manager to help engage with, with the companies that we invest in. I think that bit is really, really important. As a 160 billion pound wealth manager, you're right, we do have a responsibility to engage with companies the, the right way. From a sustainable investment perspective, given the, the regulations have just dropped at the start of the year, I think there's a lot of work that we need to yeah. do to get the proposition in order to think about what our strategy is going to be going forward. Well, Justin, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.